Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guest this week is Mike Ford. He works in NASCAR's Integrated Marketing Communications Department, and his specialty is statistics. There are few as well-versed in NASCAR numerology as Ford. He does a weekly fantasy spot on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's The Morning Drive with Mike Bagley and Pete Pistone, also former guests of this podcast, uh, in which Ford drops a lot of knowledge, and much of it revolves around driver rating, which is an amalgamation of the so-called loop data that NASCAR began compiling over the last decade. Uh, Loop data basically is a deep statistical dive that includes all sorts of stats, uh, average running position, green flag passing, average speed, your speed on restarts, closers, uh, meaning how many positions a driver gained in the last section of a race. It's a real granular look at what makes drivers so good at their jobs, and Ford has a great grasp on it. So this seemed like a good uh, week to talk NASCAR stats. We've got the round of eight over the next three races at Martinsville Speedway, Texas Motor Speedway, and Phoenix International Raceway. The championship four that will race for the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway will come from this list. Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano, Kurt Busch, Carl Edwards, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, and Matt Kenseth. So it's, it seemed a good time to uh, handicap the odds of which of those four we expect to see running for the title in Miami. Ford has much insight into how things could shake out for those title contenders at those tracks, Martinsville, Texas, and Phoenix, based on their statistical history. We also went beyond this year's stats. Ford has some good stories about which drivers and crew chiefs really are interested in in the loop data that NASCAR provides and why. Uh, he also had some, some great behind-the-scenes info and what teams are looking for 
in terms of pit stall selection and about how far they go to make those choices. Um, great nugget there that's worth listening for. And also about where he thinks loop data might be headed and why the save in Major League Baseball could be a template for driver rating and loop data. We appreciate you listening. If you're hearing us via iTunes, please leave a rating or review or please subscribe or have your friends subscribe. It really helps us out. There are many other options for finding us. There's Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast, you'll be able to find the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Also check out those places for the NBC Sports podcasting lineup. If you're a pro basketball fan, you know the NBA started this week and the Pro Basketball Talk on NBC podcast has it covered. Kurt Heelan and Dan Feldman offered their preseason predictions in the, in the uh, latest episode. Uh, they joke their prognostications can't be trusted, but I, I do think that these are knowledgeable uh, individuals, and the discussion is, is very good. So as always, that's worth a listen. Uh, NASCAR will be in Martinsville with the Sprint Cup Series this weekend. You can catch the race on NBCSN at 1 p.m. Sunday. A reminder that all of our NASCAR coverage always is available for streaming via the NBC Sports app. You can download that to your tablet or smartphone or watch on your laptop. So now let's get to the conversation with Mike Ford, which we taped at the NASCAR R&D Center in Concord, North Carolina. Mike, thanks for doing this. Uh, let's just start ground rules, as always, with all my guests. How do you prefer to be called? Ford, Mike, Loop Dog. Uh, definitely not Luke Dog. Um, okay. uh, that's a good question. I guess Ford, my friends call me Ford, so you can call me Ford. Okay. Whenever someone calls me Mike, it's always weird. It's, I don't know, it's usually someone I don't it know. It was weird well. for me a minute ago when so, I just yeah, said So, yeah, so Ford's, <laughs> Ford's perfectly fine. I, okay. Yeah, that'd be best. Of course, you were introduced as Loop Dog on the SiriusXM uh, NASCAR satellite radio show, The Morning Drive, where you have a weekly segment, uh, and that is, of course, a reference to Loop Data which is something you've done for years. Yeah, so when I got here, I I started NASCAR in 2007, and I um, one of the major major tests, my first test, was to get my arms around this loop data and make it more public. We started taking it in 2005. When we first doing it, there was a book that was so thick. I'm sure you remember it had every single stat, and, you know, it was just – so intimidating and cumbersome and and when I when I came aboard I, I cut a lot of it out um, the stuff that I, I really didn't feel was media friendly a lot of it was you know stat nerd friendly and analytics heavy and you know it wouldn't have gotten great up in MIT but um, but for the NASCAR fan and and for the NASCAR media that are you know obviously as as you know the t- space is getting tighter and they can only use a certain nugget or two you really had to to make it whittle it down to the most important and interesting stats so that's that was my job and and i i, I went full on I, I thought it was going to be great for fantasy and that's that's really where it comes i think the most handy is you know things like driver rating and average running position when you're picking your fantasy team i use loop data all the time uh and so that's where it came in loop dog uh, i do have fantasy spot on uh on sirius xm as you said every friday so that's where I use the loop data most most often is when I'm picking a fantasy team. But I think it's when we're trying to pick who's going to make the championship four at Homestead, I think that's also where it can come in handy. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that too. Definitely. And I want to get into uh, what loop data is all about as well. Uh, before we get into that statistical analysis of the round of eight, let's just talk a little bit more briefly about you. Okay. Um, you started out as a sports writer. 
before yep. you, you came to NASCAR. You came to NASCAR, what, about 12, 11, 12 years ago? Uh, 10. January will be my 10th, 10th year. Uh, yep, I started, um, I went to Fordham University in Queens. I grew up uh, in, in the Bronx. I grew up in Queens, New York, and um, always had a passion for journalism and, and writing and sports and was lucky enough I got a job at the New York Post um, in the middle of college uh, when I was 20. Um, and I, it was stroke of luck. I happened to be in the editor, uh, the sports editor's office, and uh, Carl Allen, who is still the editor in chief at the Post, uh, walked in and said, "How come we're not doing enough any NASCAR coverage?" And the sports editor said, "Well, we don't really think we have the readership for that." And Carl said, "No, you're wrong. It's huge in New York. You gotta, we gotta cover it." And I'm pretty sure behind that was Rupert Murdoch, who owns The Post and Fox, and Fox is covering NASCAR. <laughs> so Rupert probably called up Call and said, hey, bro, why are we covering NASCAR? Where are my big ba- back page headlines and 150-point type on exactly. Gordon With V. With exclamation points yeah, and photoshops. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, so I happened to be standing in the office and said, I love NASCAR. I will please let me cover NASCAR. And uh, he, he said, absolutely, go ahead and do it. Covered the two Pocono races. I think that was the first time the Post ever covered a NASCAR race live, and then I uh, and I wrote a race advance every Sunday or, or Saturday for Saturday races, and then I I met the right people. Herb Branham, um, chief among them, hired me, and uh, now he's he's working at the archives at Daytona International Speedway, and uh, I guess the rest is history. Um, been here now ten years. Loop data is primarily the way you would analyze uh, guys' chances, and I I know this is relatively New stat NASCAR what 2005 yep. was was the advent yep. and so the concept of loop data is essentially to provide like an analytical layer to stock car racing is that is that right Yep so loop data itself like you said it was 2005 and it came it was sort of born out of uh, a safety initiative when we used when we started putting uh, loops all around the racetrack prior to 2005 there was only the start finish line loop. And then um, I believe it wanted, I want to say at New Hampshire, the accident, the, the accident with uh, Dale Jarrett stopped in the middle of the track and everyone was racing back to the yellow. This is a little bit before my time and before I was a NASCAR fan, so I may get some of this screwed up, but I'm pretty sure that's what, what that's, was the case. And so I think you're right. Was September of 03, the New Hampshire race, that's what started okay. the, the concept of no more racing back. There you go. To the yellow. And so they put in extra loops to de- so that they could help determine where the field was at certain points yep. in the racetrack, right? Perfect. Yeah. That's exactly what it was born out of. So mainly it was just to set the field so we, they would stop racing back to the yellow. We would be able to freeze the field, say what car was in what position. Um, so we had these loops now, and so I think uh, I'm not sure whose idea it was originally, but we decided to make it a stats thing, a stats-driven um, initiative uh, called Loop Data using, hey, you know, we have this for, we, it creates a timestamp every time the transponder rolls over this this wire called a loop. Why can't we do things like average running position and tell, tell people where each car is on every single lap? Um, fastest laps run. Mainly, uh, what I think is the coolest part is we're the only autosports body that captures passing so we can tell you how many passes each driver has how many passes are in a given race um things like that um so that's that started we made it live in 2005 um and you know has grown and and become more part of the you know the front of mind uh, among fans i think ever since then but yeah so that all came came about in 2004 as a sort of a safety deal and then it became a stats thing in 2005 and now we have it's now on its 11th year which is kind of crazy right and and so 
looking at the, the eight drivers uh, that left, I have written and have just sort of theorized that in, in my mind, I feel like, and this is supported by loop data, which again, I think is, is, is the broadest statistical metric that, that tells you how drivers perform at each track. To me, there, this is really a race for six drivers for two spots. I think that of the remaining eight, Jimmy Johnson and Kevin Harvick are about as close to just absolute locks that I've ever seen uh, in in the three years of this of this playoff system, and that, that's mainly because of if you just go off of a, a pure wins. And Johnson has won the last four races at Texas in November. He's got eight wins at Martinsville. Harvick has won seven of the past nine at Phoenix. In the last four November races at Phoenix, he hasn't finished lower than second. He's got three wins and, are, and a runner-up last year. Uh, and then if you look at driver rating, which, again, that, that is like the compilation of loop data. That's all the different, uh, you know, fastest laps and, and uh, big, most positions gained, passing, all of those things. Uh, Johnson is actually number one in loop data at all three of these tracks. Harvick is number two at Phoenix and, and also ranks, I think, fairly well at Texas as well. Um, I, I, I guess, you know, am I, am I wrong in yeah. saying that like two of these guys just based off, off the data look like they're, they're really strong contenders. Here. Yeah. It once I said it to myself, I don't have any friends. So probably was just, myself. <laughs> um, I said it after Johnson won Charlotte that he not only clinched around in the uh, clinched a berth in the round of eight, he also, also clinched it a berth in the championship four right. with that win at Charlotte, just mainly because he's won the last four and not even Martinsville free, take Martinsville out of the equation. He's won the last four Texas chase races. Um, and Oh, by the way, he's amazing at Martinsville. Um, so I'm, I'm having a hard time arguing with you in that premise for Jimmy. <laughs> That's your job for it is to come up for re- with uh, reasons why everybody else is a, is a contender here. I can buy the Jimmy part. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Kevin part, is really contingent on him winning Phoenix. That is a, so what you're really doing in saying that that Kevin Harvick has locked his way into the championship round is taking Kevin over the field. Right. I think because um, and so I saw your tweet there where you mentioned that Jimmy Johnson has led all three um, and a lot of people qu- questioned you about Harvick and how is he not right. number one in, in driver rating. Yeah, that is so uh, if, uh, John, just to give some clarity here, Johnson is actually number one in driver rating at Phoenix. Mm-hmm. He's been good there. He's got four wins there, but I, obviously he's not as good as Harvick has been recently. Seven of nine, seven of nine um, wins in, in the past uh, few years at that track, but uh, Johnson has a slight edge in driver rating. Yeah. So why would that be? So that the reason for that is, as you, you, you mentioned when you were kicking it off, it goes back to 2005. So that driver rating chart is all 11 years. So what I what I did when I saw your tweet there and I found it interesting myself was I did a I did a, a database query on uh, since the repave, and I think that's where it comes down to. So the Phoenix repaved. Um, the first race there was the second race in 2011 with the new repave. Since then. Kevin Harvick has a drive rating of 131.2 at Phoenix, which, for those who know drive rating, is mind-blowingly high. It's it's a perfect drive rating is 150. So for to have that type of stat over 10 races um, is unbelievable. 131. Um, the second best in that category is Brad Keselowski at 105. So Kevin Harvick blows away everybody. It's not even close. So um, what, where I think you can um, where it could you could get in trouble by automatically locking in Kevin Harvick into the um, 
into the championship four is if Kevin Harvick doesn't win Phoenix, which seems like a long shot. But I don't think I think NASCAR is the only sport where you can't take the field. Uh, you, you will always take the field over an individual driver. I don't care right. how good he is. So if Harvick doesn't win at Phoenix, he may have trouble. So last year or in 2014, if he didn't win at Phoenix, he wasn't making the championship four. Um, last year he did score the most points in the round of eight uh, to earn his way in. Um, I think he was the uh, he finished second to Dale Jr. in that chase race. Uh, and I don't think any of the uh, – except Jeff Gordon was the only driver that made the championship four via win. Um, so it's – here's why I say Kevin Harvick might be the only one that I'm a little bit questionable about. Looking at the last ten races of driver rating for those three tracks in the round of eight – I think you have Jimmy Johnson. He's in the top five at every one. But you also have Kyle Busch. You also have Denny Hamlin. And you also have Matt Kenseth. And if the JGR drivers uh, can continue doing what they've done all season long, they are going to be the prime competition for Kevin Harvick. Um, you, Kyle Busch is ranks second among active drivers on Martinsville. Jimmy, Jeff Gordon is number one, by the way, over the last 10 races. So... And he's in this race, so I, maybe you put him in there. I, I don't know. He's, I think his best finish this year was 10th when he was driving the 88. So he's still, he's still sort of a part-time driver right now to me. So it goes Jimmy, then Kyle. Kyle's second at Texas as well over the last 10 races. And then uh, Kyle is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7th at, at Phoenix. So Kyle, I think, is, is, looks like a very good chance of getting in there. Uh, Denny Hamlin's phenomenal at at, at uh, Martinsville, of course. Struggles a little bit at Phoenix, and then you got Kenseth, and I think Kenseth's going to be the sneaky guy. He's going to be quietly um, a guy that no one's picking, I don't think, for the championship four, but really should be front of mind. Ranks fourth at Martinsville driver rating, third at Texas driver rating, um, and in the top ten at Phoenix. Not great at Phoenix again. Um, that might be because. As you said, Phoenix drive, driver rating formula is all based on average running position, fastest laps run, and laps lab. Those are the three biggest uh, money makers when you're coming up with a final number in the formula. And Kevin Harvick has gobbled up all the fast laps run and gobbled up all the laps led. Um, he's led over 200, I think, in like four of the last five. And then, um, and then average running position, he's second or better, third better, you know, 3.0 driver uh, after running position. So that's why everyone else's driver rating is is not as good as you would think because it's so inflated by Kevin Harvick's dominance. Right, he's just been so dominant that no one else can approach him in driver rating because there aren't laps to lead or, yeah. or fastest laps to run <laughs> exactly. because he's, yep. he's got all of them. So I, I think I agree with you. I, I think, like, if you look at Harvick's chances, it is predicated on Phoenix being the firewall uh, which it was in in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, certainly he he went there needing a win and and he got it. And I think there was a, almost a sense of resignation that um, it it would happen. But it, uh, looking at Johnson, uh, just how strong he is across the board at at all three of these tracks. I mean, I know you probably can't put percentage or odds on a guy not advancing to the final four, but but it, it seems as if and it dawned on me when he when he won at Charlotte that. Hey, maybe the reason Jimmy Johnson has never run for a championship under this format is solely because he's never reached the final eight. Like, right. it, once he reaches that round of eight, it's like, how does he not make it at that point? You know, yeah, you know it's kind of crazy. People are always talking about when this format came about that it would hurt Jimmy, right? And I guess that's true so far. And that how, and a lot of people pointed as Denny Hamlin as the guy that it would help the most because of the round of eight. As long as Denny got to the round of eight. We're not hearing that as much this time, but he's so good at Martinsville and he's so good at Texas and 
okay at Phoenix that you would think that he would be able to sneak into the championship floor, and he did the first year of the floor mat, uh, of course. But, um, but yeah, so going back to Jimmy, though, the only possible way is, you know, this is Martinsville is a wild card track, so you could see him possibly getting into some kind of strange wreck uh, if he's starting on the outside on a restart, um, potentially, I guess. Texas, um, does he have a engine problem that crushed Harvick or mm-hmm. and Logano at Charlotte? Um, does that happen? And then if that those two things happen and Harvick dominates at Phoenix as he usually does, that's I think that's probably the only pathway that leads anywhere but cha- the championship for it. Right. Right. For Jimmy. Looking uh, forward st- at statistical trends so far in the first two years of this playoff structure, have you, have you seen anything in particular that, that struck you, and particularly maybe about the, the, the round of eight? I know that this round has been interesting because in the first two years, four of these six races have been won by non-title contenders. Um, of course, two of those were the last two Texas races, won by Jimmy yeah. Johnson, who wasn't eligible, and then Taylor Jr. won at Martinsville in, in 14 and, and Phoenix last year uh, in a, in a rain-shortened race. And anything else that, that strikes you about uh, about trends or, or things like that? Any, any reason why you think that uh, the guys who are still eligible for the championship haven't uh, claimed as many of the wins the last couple of years? Well, just looking at the – well, well I, I have two thoughts um, to that question, to the broader question of trends. Um, the one that, to that you just asked, I think it's because the people that have been bounced over the bounced out prior to the round of eight over the last two years, including uh, Jimmy, of course, is probably first and foremost. Um, they're so good, and you look at this. You look at the, uh, and this is, has been the case prior to this year. But I think Brad Keselowski is going to be a guy, and I think he's he's sort of the poster boy for this. I think he's going to make a lot of noise this this weekend, um, and the same goes for Chase Elliott. Is has has had sure. some good numbers. Uh, Texas, he's very good in driver rating. Um, he ranks in the top five at Phoenix driver rating. Um, so you look at Martin Truex Jr., Brad Kozlowski, all these guys that have been surprise um, eliminations. Know, eliminations. Uh, I think that's probably why it's it's dwindled down. So the the people that have actually lost have been knocked out of the chase that have won in the round of eight have been pretty well known. It, it's not like Jamie McMurray mm-hmm. at Texas or at uh, Talladega a few years ago at the end of the chase. Um, it doesn't seem any fluke wins. Um, mm-hmm. Even Junior last year, he was one of his best seasons ever, and um, and he won. Uh, of course, that was rain-shortened a little bit. And then the other trend that I thought was interesting, and, and I think uh, Steve O'Donnell brought it up in his serious interview on Monday, was this is the first, and it's small sample size, only three, three years of it, but this is the first time that the round of eight are all winners. They've all won this year. Right, right. Um, 2014, Ryan Newman made it all the way to the championship floor without winning a race. And then uh, Jeff Gordon was winless until he won at Martinsville. So I, th- I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, what that I think, means, I'm not I, sure. I think that's the case that th- this round of eight, I think we said on NASCAR America that, uh, yesterday with Burton Lentart, one of them I think said, this is the strongest field clearly in the three years, maybe solely because of that, because every, every one of these guys has won, right? Yeah, and you, you look at each one, right down the line, probably the one that no one's talking about is Kurt Busch, right. um, just because he hasn't done much lately, but he opened up the year setting a record for finishes on the lead lap, which doesn't pre, is not a precursor to a championship, but it's still an incredible stat, and I think you know over the first 13 races, he had 12 top 10s, and he was leading the 
series in, in top 10 finishes. And, uh, you know, he started off tremendously. And um, I think he's kind of a quiet guy. He, you, he might sneak, sneak up on you and, uh, and be right there in Phoenix uh, fighting, for a, fighting for a spot in the championship floor. But you look at the, the eight, I, I don't think it's very hard to argue that this is, you know, it's, again, it's a young format, but that this is the best of the th- three years. I, like, I, while, while I will say that Jimmy Johnson and Kevin Harvick are, are the class and look like they are quote-unquote locks to the championship four, the other two are I have no idea. I mean, you got to go Gibbs, I guess, but Lacano has looked so strong a mile right. and a half tracks. Right. So you got you got one of those in there. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, I think the mile and a half thing is going to be the wild card. There's only one in this round where there were two in the last one, and um, and the championship's battled on a mile-and-a-half track. So I think that mile-and-a-half thing might be an interesting uh, nugget to look at, look at going down the line just because it's um, such so prevalent in the schedule. Speaking of nuggets, did you slide Steve O'Donnell the nugget that all eight of these guys had won? No, that was all him, okay. all by himself. Got him coached well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So you, you love these stats. What is your is it? Do you have a favorite stat among the ones that that determine loop data? I mean, is there one that you go to that like maybe you know, average running position closers, the guys who pick up the most positions in the last ten percent of a race? Is is there one that like tells you that, that you look at and say that this that, that this one is sort of like the I don't know the Rosetta Stone, like a like a key to like understanding stats in a broader context that maybe people miss. Well, I think I think driver rating is a big one, and I think average running position are, are probably the two that are um, the Rosetta Stone-ish, as you said, but also sort of the the most understandable and relatable to stick and ball fans. So, you know, driver rating is a little bit like quarterback rating, which is I know maligned in in the NFL world, but. Um, there is some comparisons there, and then average running position is pretty obvious for for stick and ball fans and NASCAR fans like where they are in every single lap. It's pretty pretty obvious. But we do have a, a stat that I find interesting anyway that doesn't get talked about much, and it's called a, the speed by segment. And we offer it in, in our loop data package. And what it, what it is is really it takes the um, the miles the average miles per, the mile, miles per hour that you have in each quarter compared to the average speed of the field. So for instance, looking at uh, the Martinsville one I'm looking, I have right now on my screen, uh, Jimmy Johnson right now averages um, total 0.768 miles per hour faster uh, than the average speed of the, of the, the, the field. So that, that's second highest in that, in that category right behind Jeff Gordon. And it, it breaks it down by quarter. So you can sort of see, you know, is he good at the beginning then tails off where he's a little bit slower um, a lot of a lot of this dic- is dictated by pit stops, but um, you know, as far as an average goes, Jimmy Johnson starts off with a .772 miles per hour, so just under a mile per hour faster than the rest of the field. But in, in Q4, fourth quarter, he's .838, so he, he bumps it up a little bit. Now that that's that's going into the race, and that's an average of of every race since we started taking this 2005. Um, I really like looking at this post race. I think you can really see how a driver's, if you just take one single race, how a driver did over the course of the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, and you'll notice that the winners typically turn on at the end. And um, I think that's where Kevin Harvick gets his closer stat, you know, the closer nickname um, and and guys like that where they all of a sudden came on and it really gives a good illustration of of how they did that and why why they finished so strongly after having sort of a subpar first half. I'm curious, like, how much traction do you think um, the the loop data and driver rating stats have gotten uh, in the NASCAR industry? Do you, do you get the sense that drivers 
teams, crew chiefs are, are paying attention to them or watching them or, or gobbling them up and kind of uh, uh, immersing themselves in, in the numbers? Industry-wise, yes. Uh Public wise, not as much as I would love. Yeah, uh, I would love for you know people to call up SiriusXM NASCAR Radio and and you know talk about you know the drive rating and you know and you know this and person ask why finished. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is loving miles an hour that type of stuff. I love that. Yeah. That hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Uh, much to my chagrin, um, they it's niche for sure. Fantasy players do pay attention to it and and uh, and you know and really devour that stuff. And I see it on Twitter a lot. Um, but mainstream, it's, it's not as mainstream as I had hoped and, and, but it's, it's still young consider, you know, comparatively to the sport in general. Um, so it's not there yet, but as far as the drivers go, uh, some do, some don't. Um, for instance, um, Kyle Busch is, as you know, a lover of all stats and records and wants to break every single one of them. Uh, every time he has a perfect drive rating, when we announce it, he just nods his head because he, he knew he did, <laughs> and like he's super excited about it. Right. Um, Kurt Busch was another one. He he knows he, he knew about all his stats. There are some drivers out there that definitely know. Brad Keselowski, um, although he wrote a blog poo-pooing the loop data one time, right. um, he is certainly he knows all about it. Crew chiefs are big. Uh, I'll there'll be public relations representatives from teams that'll come to me and or ask why the loop data hasn't been posted yet or hey this doesn't seem right to me can you just double check this or so on and so forth and that's because the crew chiefs are asking for it and they're looking at um looking at pretty closely i I know for instance a quick story that's old it's like 10 years old now but um joe crowley who used to be a pr person in the sport um uh, most recently at uh, Eldora Speedway, but it was also Stuart Haas Racing PR representative. When he was with J.J. Yaley um, in the DLP car, I want to say, right. um, his, he would always bring the giant book. This was back in, I think, 04, 05. Or no, no, or it might have been even Tony Raines. Um, <laughs> bring the big book to, uh, to the crew chief, and they would use it as a coaching tool because back then we used to have speed and turns. Uh-huh. And he would say, hey, look how how poor you're doing in turn two here you you rank 32nd among the field right. you got to pick it up here or you're getting passed on the straightaway which was another set we used to have uh we still have the ability to take those by the way but we we don't offer it up publicly so things like that I, crew chiefs definitely do look at it um they want more um they want more that rather than than last for right, sure right it's interesting because uh that 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 kind of integration was that you you hear examples of that and particularly about hall of fame racing which was was, yeah. was the there team back then because i remember doing a story when they hired jj yaley they were trying to apply the moneyball concept to nascar and say that they the, one of the reasons they hired yaley is they looked at where drivers hit their prime and they saw that between like 15,000 laps or miles, I can't remember which, I think it was 15,000 miles and 65,000 miles, that was like the sweet spot of a driver's career. And they felt like Yaley coming off of, I think, three years at Gibbs at that point, mm-hmm. and he obviously run the Xfinity Series, had an extraordinarily successful career in the dirt ranks, that Hall of Fame Racing was looking That's at it amazing. from that money ball perspective. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they would they would look at loop data and interpret it the same way. Yeah, and you know, NASCAR I don't get, think gets the credit for being as analytical as it right. is. Um, you see it in every walk of life. I mean, teams teams have data analysts. We have engineers and data analysts. Um, You look at, uh, you know, just something as simple as pit selection. 
Uh, I was talking to a colleague here in the NASCAR R&D Center and that runs the, the pit stall selections, and he sees the crew chiefs every week. They have a sheet that has the average finish of every single pit stop for I don't know how many uh, pit stall for every, I don't know how many years. So wherever they're picking, they they know okay this this stall here not the best one, but it averages a finish of two positions better than the one right next to it. So we're gonna go with that one. It's it's all over the place, um, and that's why when I say they want more, they're they're begging NASCAR for more. You know, competitively. There's some stuff that we don't want to give out, but, right? Right. Um, but uh, but yeah, they they're brilliant. Um, and uh, like I said, I I don't think NASCAR gets the credit for being as numbers heavy and reliant, and um, just the competition is is so numbers based. Um, it's almost almost as much as baseball, and obviously baseball has the history behind it. But it's it's pretty crazy. I I, didn't, I never realized it going in, and now obviously I do. I feel like that's where it gets tricky. Is it gets a little tougher to tell that story because you as you get into the where teams feel they have competitive edges, of course, in NASCAR maybe more so than any professional sport. There's a real proprietary mm-hmm. interest in like keeping trade secrets secret. And whereas you know, Hall of Fame racing, that those that was bought by the reason they had that Moneyball approach and thought J.J. Lee was going to be a great hire because he was he was entering that prime of his career. That was a, a couple of baseball guys um, who bought a NASCAR team and thought that they could apply what in baseball everybody understands. There was the analytics revolution yeah. uh, with the Billy Bean. They did the movie about it, and and that that you know Theo Epstein and that that sort of changed the game over there, and everybody was fairly candid about it in football i feel like same thing like when you look at coaches on the sidelines you know they have those charts that tell them when to go for two when to go for one <laughs> I and mean, that isn't something they're hiding but when i've tried to like approach crew chiefs on that uh i i just i just feel like there's got to be some nascar equivalent that tells them okay caution with this many laps to go two four tires as you just said i hadn't even thought about that knowing like how the pit stall selection plays into it probably all of that is getting factored in in ways that like mere mortals such as us can't fully comprehend, right? Right. I'm, I mean, there's like you said, there's there's so probably so many other facets that we don't even think about. Um, you know, length of uh, you know f- fuel runs and what lap you're best at, or you know what, how many gallons are you fastest or whatever. But there's they want more, and I I, I was last two years I went up to uh, Boston for the um, MIT Sloan Analytics uh, Sports Analytics Conference, and um, we had one of our VPs uh, Eric Nyquist on a panel last year talking about um, the analytics of a playoff system and how we sort of went at you know the the path we went to launch the new chase format, and I was just standing there waiting for him to get off stage, and this consultant for uh, I think it was maybe Ganassi, I'm not sure, uh, just sidled up next to me and says, hey, I'm so-and-so. How come you don't give us more more stats? I want more loop data. <laughs> like, I'm kidding. I, yeah, I, I know. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's on NASCARmedia.com. Go ahead and get it. NASCAR.com, it's uh, right there. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want that. I want the raw stuff. <laughs> give me the goods. It was like I was a drug dealer for loop data. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, whatever, whatever, whatever competitive advantage they can get, um, they they will absolutely take. And, and like I said, there are some very smart people um, in the sport, and uh, they'll figure out a way to use it to their advantage. No, no question about it. Give me the uncut pure numbers <laughs> yeah, exactly. for for this week's I'm quarter Walter, one, quarter I'm two, the Walter quarter White three. of loop data. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's not a bad thing to aspire to for. Heisenberg. Um, so you, you mentioned about like the, the the stat gaining traction. I was I was doing some research on this. It, the, the save became a statistic in baseball in 1969. Um, Hall of Fame sports writer Jerome Holtzman was credited with creating it, and um, it's been famously said later that he was deserving of a cut of all the the short all the Mariano Rivera's and their fat contracts like he should have gotten a cut of that um but I mean granted like the the stat was created in 69 like that probably didn't become like a real accepted thing until 10 or 15 I mean when did stoppers relievers really become in vogue in baseball probably only the last 30 years or so so maybe I don't know maybe like someday NASCAR drivers are negotiating contracts and they're talking about maybe you I will get that cut. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure I will. But I think that's a good point. And I think when we launched it in 2005, or uh, when we talked about launching it in 2004, um, the story I always heard was that Casey Kane was going to be the the guy that everyone's going to build off of because he was. I think his rookie was, was 04, um, and that was everyone beforehand because then you know we would have. Rusty Wallace is coming to an end, so he has a couple of years. So, like, you'll see him, like, on a random loop data report because in 2005 he was good at Pocono or whatever. Um, so, so we had a – there was – Casey Kane was, like, the new – the beginning of a new era uh, of NASCAR driver that's career began right when loop data started. And from him on, we would have every single year of his career we would have loop data for. Um, and so that's – I think that's when we're going to sort of see uh, – it be a little bit more prevalent and more um, accepted is when these drivers, this new era of drivers, only have loop data um, and they don't have any previous career years mm-hmm. where driver rating wasn't even uh, a thought. Right. Um, so I think that's that's where it's gonna it's gonna come. As Let that me, frame of reference builds, then yeah. you have more of a case to make for. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, like, if you look at, a, you know, the back of a baseball, baseball card, if, like, you know, it was blank, 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 and then all of a sudden you have start seeing saves. It was the same thing with NASCAR. Like, you, you'll have, you know, Mark Moore, Mark Martin, 02, 03, 04, nothing in the driver rating, driver rating column, and then all of a sudden it's filled up with numbers. It, just, it looks silly. Mm-hmm. So that's why people kind of, I think, some people might just dismiss it because it's – it's it wasn't around since they be started becoming fans, um, which I get. I understand that being a fan of all sports. Um, so I think as as it becomes more prevalent and part of the whole lexicon, I think it will be bigger. I hope. Got a couple more for you. Who who are your final four, or have you thought that through yet? Uh, as much as I wanted to try to uh, say that it's not going to be Kevin Harvick. Um, <laughs> Kevin Harvick. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you playing devil's advocate for it. I know I put you in a tough spot there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go, um, you know, at the start of the chase, I, I picked Joey Logano to win the whole thing. Um, so I guess I'll keep him, still keep him in there, but although I will, if you allow me, I will change that. Um, if I'm keeping Logano, I'll go Logano, Jimmy, Kevin, and uh, Denny Hamlin. If not, I'll take Logano out and put Kyle Busch in. Okay. And uh, so people can know here how much credence, how much stock to put in your opinions. How many NASCAR Fantasy Leagues? are you currently in i'm only in two. Oh, really okay. yeah i'm only in two i uh um I, I i'm in one with the the rest of my imc team um the nascar integrated marketing communications team and uh and it, this is gonna even sound worse i'm only in second 
Um, <laughs> but uh, I had so a, disregard everything. I had you just a, said. Yeah, so you can just delete this. Too late now. You're already in. Sucks for you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us your knowledge, which which I I do put a lot of stock into. I appreciate and, that, Nick. And, Thank uh, you. You know, I'm I'm glad I was able to talk you out of an existential midlife crisis uh, at the Coral Gables Hyatt. <laughs> I was I was only 28 at that time too. Yeah, yeah, it was a that crazy was a long time ago. That's a story for another podcast. Someday <laughs> we'll explain how I kept forward in this business. Yeah, is he, and, a lot of credit goes to Nate this. in my Steve. career. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, All for right, being buddy. Here. Our thanks again to Mike Ford. He was there in a pinch when there was a last-minute cancellation, and we appreciate him being available as a guest. He did a great job, and I love being able to do these insider episodes with a peek behind the curtain of people and things in NASCAR land that you might not have known about. Now, if that isn't quite your thing, no disrespect meant here to Ford or any of the other slightly less famous guests we've had on the podcast, but if you prefer the well-known quantity... Uh, You still should stay tuned. We will have some big names coming up as we try to close the first season of the NASCAR NBC podcast with a flourish. I don't want to jinx it by saying whom, but I guarantee you have heard of some of the upcoming guests. They might have even won some big races. As always, the big winner for us is Tess Quinlan, who produces the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to her uh, for always being available and adaptable uh, and accessible. Uh, You can subscribe on iTunes for automatic downloads of new episodes of the podcast. And as always, podcast also is available on Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Anywhere you can find a podcast, you should be able to find the NASCAR on NBC podcast, as well as the NBC Sports podcasting lineup. If you have ideas for guests, suggestions, questions, you're welcome to send those to me on Twitter. At Nate Ryan is the place for feedback. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. We appreciate it, and I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.